Hi, my name is Trisha Hedman and I've been a longtime member of this church. Um, the thing I love about this church is that it just inspires me to be a better person, to love the Lord more, and to do His work in the world. Welcome to the second week of Advent in this wonderful Christmas season, the season that we celebrate goodness. Think about that for a second. Christmas evokes out of each person a sense, a yearning, a desire for goodness. Uh, we've come to expect the fact that somehow Christmas is that season where goodness prevails. But the question is, who's goodness and how does it prevail? Uh, we all want to be good. Uh, we all think we're better than we are. <laughs> if you ask anybody, are you good? They'll say good enough or they'll say good but, uh, good if, good because. I love the fact that in the black church, there's a wonderful call and response. Uh, the leader, typically a pastor or a worship leader, will say, God is good. And the people say, all the time. And then the pastor, the leader, will say, all the time. And they'll say, God is good. God is good all the time. In fact, Psalm 19 says it this way. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world, declaring the glory of God. Uh, somebody has called this God's first book. Uh, creation is God's first book. It tells a magnificent story of His goodness. Uh, the second part of that book is also captured in, uh, or the second book is captured in Psalm 19 as well. In verse 14, 7 to 14, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is an expression of God's glory and goodness and a plea that it might be reflected in our own lives. We know that God created a good creation, us included. And we see in Genesis 1.31 him celebrating that. Uh, we see that it says, God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. I love the emphasis in, the, in Hebrew. It's good, good. It was very good. It was magnificent, excellent. It was the best, the best, the fullest expression of goodness one could imagine possible. But that goodness has been corrupted by human disobedience toward God. And yet we still yearn to be good. And, of course, people want us to be good. Uh, how many of us, when we were little kids, heard this? If you're good, then you'll get a reward. Something good will happen. Or because you're good, this is your reward. 
We yearn for goodness. We need to be motivated, though, because it's so easy to compromise that goodness. What is it about us uh, that causes us to be so conflicted about our own goodness? Well, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, summarizes a number of Scripture passages from the Psalms and from Ecclesiastes and gives us a statement about uh, our situation. And and I need to give you sort of a a trigger warning here because this is inherently offensive to everyone who ever hears it or reads it. It's Genesis, uh, Romans 3, verses 10 to 18. And Paul says this, as it is written, uh, this is documented, he's saying. This is a given. This is not debatable, negotiable. This is how it is. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now our response out of our defensiveness is, well, besides that, I get no credit for wanting to be good. And you might say, well, I know lots of people who are really good. Well, yeah, of course you do. We all have that inherent capacity and yearning for goodness because we're made in the image of God. And yet all of us fall short of that. If this offends you, you're probably in denial about who you really are. Think about it this way. Uh, This is a description of sin that plagues every human being. Sin is the original pandemic. All of us are infected by the virus to one degree or another. Some people seem to be fairly asymptomatic. I've known people, I'm married to one of them, who is so good. And not in a self-righteous way, they just are good. And maybe it's just that they're really good at hiding their bad. I, I, I don't know exactly, but I know that there's lots of people, I would say, they're really good. They really yearn for God. They seek after God. Right. But all of us have the virus. All of us have this deadly virus that keeps us separated from God. And yet, uh, in this time of celebration regarding goodness, Christmas, Many people believe that Christmas is a celebration of our goodness. Christmas celebrates our goodness. Uh, If you read, uh, I read recently in the newspaper, all the the wonderful creative cultural things that will be on television, coming out uh, uh, on film, uh, being expressed in music. And and one of the the people who've just made a film uh, said, we're trying to recapture the true meaning of Christmas. And they went on then to explain that this, this movie they've made is about Mrs. Claus. I'm thinking, Mrs. Claus, what does Mrs. Claus have to do with the true meaning of Christmas? It's absurd on the face of it. I love all the creative expressions of Christmas. It's a wonderful life, a Christmas carol. Uh, I can even sit through Elf, Home Alone, uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas. There's so many fun uh, expressions, whether it's the Grinch who stole Christmas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Frosty the Snowman. You, you, you understand where this goes. There's so many iterations of creativity. And yet the real meaning of Christmas 
comes down to these characters, that is not just a character, that's a caricature. Amazingly, many people believe that Christmas is a celebration of our goodness and will defend it enthusiastically and become very unhappy if you suggest otherwise. Yes, we're made in God's image, and yes, we yearn for goodness, and we yearn to be good. But we all fall short of God's standard for goodness, and even our own. I've had many conversations with people where they'll say, well, I reject your standard of goodness. Don't put that on me. Don't project your biblical worldview on me. And I'll say, well, then, let's talk about your worldview. Do you value goodness? Yes, I do. Well, what makes you good? What, what are your values that express your goodness? And, and, and people will talk about their values. And I'll say, simply, as respectfully as possible, well, do you find that you are consistently keeping your own values for goodness? Well, no, I fall short of them, but they're mine. And I mean well. Right. Right. That's true for every single one of us. We fall short of God's standards for goodness and even our own. I love the way that Christmas hymn says it. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Hoping, yearning for something better. Yearning for goodness to break through. The rest of the song says this. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Sin makes us weary. When will it be good again? When will I be good enough? It started out so well. How did it go so wrong? We want the best for ourselves and for one another. That's inherently wanting goodness. And so when this, this song where he says, you know, when we find out that God is bringing goodness with him into the world that he created, it says that a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Maybe it's him. Maybe this is it. Maybe now's the time. So Christmas is a celebration of God's goodness in Christ rescuing us from our sin. That's why it's so good. Christmas declares that you are loved by God, not forsaken to sin, but saved by Him. This is the God who loves you that much. That's very, very good. In a sense, God has entered into His own creation and is recreating it, is rescuing it is restoring it, redeeming it. Lots of great words used uh, to describe that. And so therefore, when we experience that, when we embrace that, we see everything and we see everyone differently, better. Why? Because we're starting to see goodness from God's perspective. And so the, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes this to the people in Corinth who were really hung up on judging one another, uh, judging their culture, defending their culture. It was a mess. Because they, they, they would naturally, like we all do, default to looking at everything from a natural, that is from our perspective, point of view. And so Paul reminds them in this uh, second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. He says, so from now on, because of who Jesus is and what he's done, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Our perspective on the world comes from outside the world, from God's perspective. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the creation, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, it's here. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. It's not enough to say you're not good and I'm holding your sin against you. God's solution is to take the sins of the world upon himself. And so Christmas confirms that the gospel of Jesus is good for everyone. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We don't need to bear that burden. We don't need to live under the shame and guilt of not being good enough. Let me read you uh, four passages that will set you up for a a very uh, profound and deep experience of Advent as you process uh, the meaning and the message of Christmas. I want, to, I want to read scriptures briefly about Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. Uh, Zechariah, the father-to-be, the father of uh, John the Baptist, husband of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. He's a priest. He's been chosen to serve in the temple. And there he is in the Holy of Holies, uh, ministering to God on behalf of the people and to the people on behalf of God. And he has a visitation from an angel. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah, the great prophet, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. It's really, really good. Then to Mary, an angel appears, and Mary was greatly troubled because the angel greets her saying, a hail Mary, full of grace. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. This is Luke chapter 1. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and you will be called the son. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Don't be afraid, Mary. It's really, really good. And then to Joseph, uh, to whom Mary was betrothed. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 tells us, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was a good man trying to do a good thing in a very difficult, very bad situation from his perspective. He wanted to take a bad situation and make it as good as it could possibly be. And it says, so after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Don't be afraid, Joseph. It's really, really good. And finally, the shepherds. We see this in Luke chapter 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, you know it by now, right? Four out of four. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard these things were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as what they had been told. Now these angels weren't announcing the goodness of people. I bring you great news of great good joy. You've been so good this year. There's going to be a big party in your honor. No. The angels weren't announcing the goodness of people. They were announcing the goodness of God on behalf of all the people. It was a gift of God's goodness to them. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Caesar is not the Messiah. Caesar is not the Lord. You are not the Messiah. You are not the Lord. He alone is the Messiah, the promised solution from God to us to deal with what we could never deal with on our own. He, the Messiah and the Lord, will restore the goodness of God in all creation, starting with us. And it wasn't just our need that caused Christ to come. It certainly wasn't our worthiness that compelled him to come. It wasn't an obligation owed to us that required Christ to come. Jesus chose to come into the world out of his, out of his unconditional love for us. Let that sink in. It wasn't your need. It wasn't your worthiness. It wasn't some obligation that God owed us. It was absolutely because of his unconditional love for us, expressed in his mercy, his compassion, his generosity, and ultimately in his sacrifice on our behalf on the cross. His death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his promised return in glory to make a new heaven and a new earth. 
It wasn't if love or, or because love, but this is who I am and this is what I do, love. The goodness of God on full display. And so the Christmas message we celebrate is God's goodness to us in Jesus. We celebrate the goodness of God at Christmas that draws out all our aspirations and yearnings for the goodness we want in us. And so the meaning of Christmas is that God's goodness alone can save us and make that possible. God's love in Christ, God with us, Emmanuel, makes that possible. Gives that to us in a way that's functional and practical that we can experience now and forever. And he opens us to a larger understanding of what goodness is and what goodness does. As much as we, we have yearned for goodness and we've defended our own intentions for goodness, all of a sudden we realize there's a whole larger world of goodness that now I am drawn into. A magnificent work of God's goodness in me, producing fruit in me that honors and glorifies Him and blesses people. All that goodness I yearn for and all the good things I did now have a larger meaning and purpose, aligned with God's purposes for me. Do you see the power of this? It's not a denial of human goodness. It's simply recognition, recognition of God's. Recognition of God's. Don't waste your time arguing with people about their goodness. Just point them to God's. Don't try to convince people of their badness. They already know they're bad. Though they mean well and intend good. And so they will defend their goodness. Don't go there. It's a fool's errand. It's folly. Simply say, we are who we are. And look who he is. It's his goodness that we proclaim. So, as another wonderful Christmas hymn says, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ, the Lord. By God's gracious goodness, we are now part of his good news for the world. We embody the goodness of God in this world. God, personally present through his Holy Spirit, pouring out his goodness in the world. It's embodied in us, and we get to be his hands and his feet. So wherever you have opportunity to do good in the name of Jesus, do that. Take the time. Go out of your way to figure out, where can I do good? How can I do good? Who needs something good in their life right now? A word, a deed. This is part of the power of, of taking a deep dive into Advent and in this Christmas season. It sets us up for every season throughout life. That we get to be immersed in the goodness of God. And wherein we fall far short of it, we simply turn to Him and recognize that we need His goodness in a fresh way. It's called repentance and confession. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Why? Because He's good. And He wants us to share in that goodness in practical, wonderful ways. So this is the gift Jesus gave us and commanded us to remember. So on the night that he was betrayed, uh, there at that dinner, that long, lengthy uh, supper, talking about what has happened and what is happening and what will happen, uh, Jesus takes bread, and having blessed it, he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And In the same manner, he took the cup, and having blessed it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you do this in remembrance of me. And so Holy Communion is an ongoing celebration of God's goodness.
It allows us to recognize him in fresh ways, to be renewed by him in fresh ways, to be reconciled to one another in fresh ways, to be reinvigorated and remotivated to live out our purpose in the world as uh, partners in God's good work in the world. As you receive Holy Communion, as you celebrate it uh, wherever you are, with whomever you are, know that it's God's goodness who makes it possible. And it's God's goodness uh, that gives you His love unconditionally, unapologetically, not holding your sins against you, but holding you against His heart. Lord Jesus, I pray this for myself and for my brothers and sisters, for all who hear this message, that we would be fully assured of your unconditional love for us. That nothing and no one can keep us from your love or separate us from it in Christ. That as we confess our faith in you, all those who call on the Lord will be saved. So Lord, we claim your goodness. We appropriate your goodness. We thank you that you are making us good because of your good work within us. We thank you for that and pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord shine his glory on us that we might reflect it together as his people, one day at a time, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.